Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. So it may surprise some of you to know that I lift weights with a trainer twice a week. I don't know why that would surprise you, but it just doesn't seem completely in keeping (laughs) with my persona, which mostly involves talking about how I hate getting sweaty and or ever being hot and like to take a lot of naps. But I also lift weights. And I have to say I have learned so much about my brain and my nervous system from lifting. And lifting has also really given me a way to think about how my brain works and how new neural patterns form and the ways in which, you know, the body and the mind can work similarly. You know, I think sometimes thought work is understood as being entirely cognitive, which is not really the case, even though it's called thought work, at least not the way that we teach it and practice it around here. It really is about the mind-body experience taken together and the way that we physically can train and change our bodies and our strength and build new patterns in our brain that sort of control our muscles tells us a lot about how our brains work too and how our thought patterns work too. And so I'm really excited to share with you this actually pretty incredible conversation I had on the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast, which I will admit is not a podcast that I knew a lot about (laughs) before I was invited to come speak on it. And so I really encourage you, whether you exercise or not, to listen to this episode because if you do exercise and you do kind of work out or, you know, whatever that means, moving your body is exercise. But if you, you know, let's just say do movement, targeted movement on purpose for the purpose of exercise and or cardio or and or lifting, then you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode. But even if you don't, you're going to hear about how your brain needs training and conditioning, just like your muscles do. And we sort of talk about feminism, movement and exercise. We talk about society's unrealistic expectations of women and their bodies. We talk about how the pandemic has impacted women, the women's movement. We talk about how to redirect your thoughts, how to improve your confidence, how to redefine feminism. We really get into quite a lot. So whether you are a huge follower already of Thick Thighs Save Lives or whether you have never heard of it before this moment, I think you're really going to enjoy this thoughtful and interesting conversation that we had. So with no further ado, I will... Let you guys start listening in. Guys, we have We're so a annoying. Guest today. <laughs> I know. I don't even care. You know I what? You care. can't curb my excitement. <laughs> Didn't try because they've tried before and no one's been <laughs> So the guests that we had on today, whew. Well, I'll I'll just say this. I'm going to try my best not to leave a little angry because, you know, that is my knee-jerk reaction when I feel like there are injustices. But the guest we had on today is so enlightening and so important. And she is just like a specialist in all of the things that make women women and make uh, and wire our brains. And it's like, 
I don't know. How did you feel? Did you feel like... I love having these conversations with women because number one, sitting in a room with incredibly smart women is overall inspiring to me. And our guest today is absolutely brilliant. And having just thought-provoking conversations about confidence in women and how we can have actionable changes to just living our best lives. Yes. Is something that like I just live for. And she is brilliant. So her name is Kara Lowenthal, and she is from the podcast Unfuck Your Brain and the creator of the right Clutch. Bar Alley. <laughs> yeah. Bar Alley, guys. <laughs> guys, Unfuck Your Brain, come on. Like, she's brilliant. She um, went to Yale and Harvard Law School and was actually left her job as a lawyer to become a life coach. And to say she's brilliant, that's an understatement. What she does is she basically like hosts a coaching community that is feminist aimed and it's a revolution. It's to help women overcome insecurity, anxiety, imposter syndrome, people pleasing, and their dependence on external validation. And I think that those are things that are so ingrained in so many of us And just the recognition that we can change those things, that we can adjust them, that we don't have to live under those constraints is mind-blowing. And she is the woman to do it. Yeah. I mean, we can't talk about confidence without bringing her on. We can't even talk about rewiring the thoughts in our brain without bringing her on. And I think it's so empowering. I can't wait for you guys to listen. So empowering to know that you hold the keys to rewiring your brain. So have a listen. Cara, we are so excited to have you on and we're going to jump right into it. So you went from Ivy School lawyer to the leader of a feminist revolution through your brand and business. Tell us how this happened and what drew you to now be your life's work. I like that. I'm just the leader of the feminist revolution. (laughs) I do think it's like the new, I think I call it like the new feminist revolution. And anybody who's listening, who's like, "Uh, feminist, I don't know, seems angry. Keep listening. Going to teach you the new feminism is about. So I have been a lifelong, I was, I've been a professional feminist my whole life in one way or the other. I went to law school in order to do reproductive rights and women's health rights work. So I was a litigator, meaning I um, basically, you know, went, uh, did legal work to protect women's right to access reproductive health care. And then I um, became an academic and I kind of worked more on the ideas and theory around those legal rights. And then I, you know, the next normal step in that evolution towards law professor is you make a hard right turn right before the law professor part and you become a life coach instead. So that's what I did. And my Jewish parents have almost recovered six years later. And so then I became a coach. But for me, it really is a continuation of the same work. I have always been focused on empowering women to have control of their own lives and their own destinies. And I still wholeheartedly believe that requires being able to have control of their physical life and their physical destiny and deciding, you know, when and whether and how to bear children if they're going to. But I've more, I now more work on how to help women empower themselves mentally from the inside out. And that's why I call it kind of the new feminist revolution, because I think, you know, we have the existing focus on like all the things in the world that need to change. And I do think things in the world need to change. But also if we don't change the way we've been taught to think 
about ourselves, it really doesn't matter what changes in the outside world, right? So if we can, if we like replace every politician and every CEO and whatever, right, with people from any marginalized identity, women, people of color, disabled people, whatever, if the thought processes that we learned about ourselves haven't changed, we would just be in those positions doubting ourselves, criticizing ourselves, thinking we're not the authority, thinking we need, we don't know what to do. And so to me, the kind of new feminism is the thought process, the internal liberation. It's not replacing the social stuff. We need both, but we need both. We can't just focus on changing kind of the outside world. So that's how I ended up here. Oh, man. First of all, I just want to thank you for the work you've done with women's reproductive rights. Personally, I want to thank you. And I also just want to say how insightful I think that that whole idea is. And I remember I'm a former history teacher and I remember sitting my high school students down and asking them to raise their hand if they considered themselves a feminist. And I had almost no hands raised. And then giving the definition of what a feminist is and saying, why isn't everyone's hands raised? And you're exactly right that the common answer was, well, I'm not angry. I don't want to be mad at men. I don't want to, I don't hate anybody, Miss Hellier. And I was <laughs> like, uh, and we a marketing problem. There's a feminism marketing problem, which I'm always like, do you like being able to wear pants and vote? Congratulations. You are a feminist. Do you like being able to have a credit card without your dad having to guarantee it? Congratulations. You're a feminist, right? To like redefine it and explain to people what it actually means. But that's that internal work that, you know, we need to do before and not before simultaneously, but it has to be done at the same time. Because if you're sitting in a a classroom of high school students and two out of 30 consider themselves feminists, I mean, we're like... We have internal things going on that need to be adjusted. So in your coaching, you talk about women in the need to literally like rewire their thought processes and their patterns to be able to live with what you call authentic confidence. So first of all, yes, I'm here for it. But before we get there, I think it's important that people can recognize and identify the social conditionings that may be like currently holding them back. Because I think that it's like step one, like recognize it in yourself. So can you help some of the ladies that might be listening, identify some of these behaviors in themselves? Like what do like commonly, what do these look Mm -hmm. like? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say like the way that I teach it is sort of like if you're socialized as a woman. So you may have been socialized as a woman and still identify as a woman. You might be non-binary. You might be a trans woman. Like what if you've been exposed to what when we say socialize, like that sounds like this big word. It really just means what did you learn from society about like what your identity group is? right? Like, what did you learn women are like? What did you learn men are like? You also learned everybody was one or the other, right? At least when we were growing up, like there wasn't an acknowledgement of the gender binary, the gender spectrum yet. What are you, what were you taught about people of color? What were you taught about disabled people? What were you taught about fat people? Like whatever identity you live in, you just are taught things sometimes explicitly, like your parents or teachers will just be like, these kinds of people are like this. And these kinds of people are good at that and bad at this. But also you learn it implicitly, which means no one's saying it to you, but you're like looking at the government and being like, that's mostly old white men who are in charge of that. Or you are like the kindergarten teachers in your school are all women, but then all the administrators are all men or like all of these sort of implicit lessons that we just pick up on without even thinking about it of like, 
who's important, who's smart, who's a leader, who's authoritative. Like these are all things we just learn like through osmosis just from seeing like what's around us. Right. Which is why like I didn't grow up. I grew up in a family that was very focused on like my education, my achievement. Like, you know, nobody was ever saying like, you don't need to go to college, just get married. Like that was not the vibe in my house at all, but I still live in a world, right. That like has certain expectations. So in terms of how they show up, I think what's tricky about it is because a lot of it is implicit. Like it's not like we got a flyer at school that said women are, you know, bad at math and shouldn't be in charge of things, but it's implicit. We don't recognize it in our own mind. So I always say that like, if what you heard in your brain was some 1950 male announcer voice being like, women can't be trusted with money, then like you would know not to listen to that. But that's not what you hear. What you hear is just your own voice saying things like, I'm irresponsible with money or I shouldn't make that big of a decision or like maybe I shouldn't, I don't know what I'm supposed to spend the money on or money is hard and I don't understand it. So I'm just not going to think about it because I feel bad when I do. Like it shows up sounding like your own voice and you just think it's your own true thoughts about yourself and you don't even recognize it. So the things to look out for are like, how often are you doubting yourself, right? How often are you thinking that you aren't good enough at something, can't do something, aren't smart enough, need someone else to like validate all your decisions. How often are you people pleasing? Like one of the, I think one of the most, like almost the foundational thing that women are taught that we learn about women in our society is that their value comes from being of service to others, like helping and serving other people. And so that makes us hyper-focused on what everybody else thinks about us, right? And that is what... So we have this like contingent confidence, meaning like, I'm only allowed to feel good about myself. It's contingent on like, there's that tweet going around that's like, I just need everyone who knows me to tell me they're not mad at me every half hour for the rest of my life. (laughs) It's like that. It's like our confidence is so shaky because it's like, I can only be confident if I have heard nothing, I've only heard good things about myself in the last 24 hours. And I think everybody I know is pleased with me. And right. It's like, then the minute something looks different in the mirror or someone's upset or we, whatever, then the whole thing falls down like a pack of cards. So like, that's how to know your confidence isn't internal yet. It's still external. And it's like based on the shaky platform, that's all going to collapse at a moment's notice. Wow. That honestly, that's so insightful too, because there's so many levels of confidence, right? And there's so many like process that we have to go through where like you start out by like testing the waters with some external confidence. And even that step is a lot for a lot of women mm-hmm. where like we haven't even internalized it. We haven't got that far. It's just like hanging by a thread. If everyone thinks we are okay, or if we're doing yeah. well, or if we've gotten a promotion or if no one's mad at us at that very moment, like, oops, we can have a, a second right. of confidence. Like, that's fit exactly right today. I'm allowed to yes. like myself for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Or you've met like the, for a lot of our women, their goal weight. That's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll be confident when I get there. Or when you do get there, you're like, oh, I, I'm allowed to be confident now. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And so many people find that that doesn't stick. Yes. Right. Because the problem is that you have, this goes to the like rewiring your brain. Your brain is like a muscle. So, you know, if you, if you work out, like you can't do a deadlift a certain way 6,000 times and then think that if you like walk into a new gym, your body's going to do that deadlift in a totally different way all of a sudden, just because that circumstance different. It's like a learned pattern in your muscles. 
And the, you know, the more we're learning about the brain body connection, it's a learned pattern in your brain. Like your brain controls your nervous system, controls your muscles, controls like how much weight you put on the inside corner of your left foot when you're doing the squat. Like all of that is wired into your brain. And so you can't like shit on yourself all the way down to your goal weight and then be like, okay, now the magic, I walked into the new weight and now my brain will tell me confident thoughts. Like that's not how that works. So you get a, you get like a rush of excitement when you first hit it, whatever the thing is, right? It could be like the amount you want to bench press. It could be the, you know, your lifting goal. It could be the weight loss. It could be this, the time on your mile, like whatever it is, you'll get a rush of excitement because your brain is like, oh, we finally got to the place where we're going to be happy and nice to ourselves forever. We are finally going to feel good. But if you have been mean to yourself all the way and you've been trying to motivate yourself with self-criticism and negative self-talk, that shit is going to kick right back in. Like that's what you've trained your brain to do. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we talk to our ladies so much about that because we try and warn them before they get there because we're like, you're going to get to this place and realize it is not what you made it out to be in your mind. If your road there is all of these like backwards way of like shaming and yourself towards confidence, you know, you're going to get to that like quote unquote goal weight. And you're going to realize that confidence wasn't waiting for you there. Right. Yes. It w- yeah. It wasn't waiting in this body you it's had in your mind. It's not waiting anywhere except no. in your own brain and you have to create it. Like it's not even waiting in your brain. In your brain, you at least have the ingredients and you can like make the recipe if you work on it, but you cannot just buy it. It's not like an omelet. You can't just get one at the store instead of making it at home. Yes. That's a perfect segue into our next question of like, there's been multiple studies about the confidence gap. Basically studies show men consistently overestimate their abilities and performance while women consistently underestimate in both of these areas, despite their performance, not different, like in quality. So were we wired this way? Is this socialization and kind of like, how can we unfuck ourselves? Yeah. I think we're, we're socialized, but when we talk about wiring, like we have to think about what that means. I think people often use that. They'll say like hardwired, meaning like you came out of the womb like that, right? Like you're, you've got blue eyes and brown hair and insecurity, but actually like our socialization wires us not in a way that has to be permanent, but like it, you're right. You've, we've all heard, I think at this point, like neurons that fire together, wire together. It's just like a, but you're just teaching a brain, right? It's like conditioning your body to do a certain movement a certain way. Like when this comes up, that's got to go back. Or when I contract this muscle, I got to release this one. It's just wired together to like these things go together. And so all that socialization, when we're not aware of it, does kind of wire our brains. I don't think it's hardwired in that way because I think we can change it, right? This is like the fancy word for this is neuroplasticity. It just means your brain's ability to change over time which like, it's crazy. People used to think not that long ago, like, you know, a few decades ago, that sort of basically once your brain developed as a child, like that was it, it couldn't change anymore, which makes no sense when you think about it, since people have learned new things for their whole lives through human (laughs) history, but like, okay. (laughs) We thought that was like some different system or something. So that's kind of the good news is like, no matter how long you have been thinking in a certain way, you can always still change it. I mean, I have women in um, the clutch, which is my my coaching community, my feminist coaching community who are like 70 and find thought work and are like, okay, like I want to change this now. I mean, it really is never too late, but it is a process. Like when you think about how many times, if like, if you have bad body image, if you think about like how many times have you had the thought about like how your stomach looks bad? Like Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you probably think of 15 times a day and how long. Yeah, I was going to say per day. Yeah. Right. And that's per day. <laughs> per and now there's 365 in a year and you've been doing it for 20 years. So like, it'll take a minute. You know, like I'm always coaching my students that like, we'll get to new thought and they'll be like, I just don't believe that now. And I'm like, yeah, you just heard it 20 seconds ago and you've been thinking this other thought 6 million times. So like, we're going to need to practice. The good news, I think like the, the part that is like a miracle is that you don't have to think it as many times as the old thought for it to start to feel more true. Like you don't have to match it one for one, right? Yes, that's great yes. news. <laughs> that's great news. Right. Just like if you don't have enough time, time left. On <laughs> or you've been doing an exercise wrong for 20 years, your form's been wrong. It's going to take a while to correct it, but you don't have to literally do one for one of all the ways you did it with the wrong form before. Like you just have to do it enough and consistently enough until like your neural map, your brain map kind of updates and is like, oh, this is what we're doing now. Okay. This is now the easier thing to think. This is the form is now automatic. Like I've now learned it enough that I will just do it by default. So you have to, you literally have to practice thinking different thoughts and this is, I'm, this might be one of your follow-up questions. So I'm just going to go there anyway. Like the biggest mistake people make, especially if they are part of any kind of like inspirational community, I think like coaching people, fitness people, anybody who likes to be inspired is that they're trying to believe new thoughts that are too far from what they currently believe. So like you see some like Pinterest graphic that's like, every day is an amazing opportunity to love myself wholly. And you're like, that's what I want to think and feel. But right now you have 65 thoughts a day about what a piece of, what a terrible person you are. That's this too big. It's too big. That's why we don't go from like trying to make, from trying to like lift two pounds to trying to like deadlift 400. Like we got to build up. You don't go from like, I have never walked to, I am going to run a marathon. You got to, and even if you do, you got to practice. You don't just get up and run 26 miles. So you got to like really pick thoughts that are kind of baby thoughts, or I call them like neutral thoughts, but like a little step, just a little step. Like my stomach is disgusting. Okay. Let's just practice thinking this is a human stomach. Or like, even if I don't like my stomach today, I'm still worthy of respect or whatever. It's like, we're just going to like a little bit practice a little thought. That's a little bit. I would say it could feel a little good or it could just honestly feel 10% less bad. That's good enough to like start to rewire the brain. I think that it's it's really it's really hard first of all when you see kind of the life you want to be living and you say like okay let's do that yeah I, let's do that right now right now we'll do, um yeah tomorrow I want to wake up and it's like it's it's really hard news I think to hear that like it's going to take some time I think that that is the number one thing that people do not want to hear they do not want to hear it's going to take some time they do not want to hear it's going to take a lot of practice but it is also a really hopeful idea that like, you know, all of this that has been going on for all of these years, it doesn't have to turn around in one day. That's so much pressure, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, and like, don't do it. They don't start. They don't change. Exactly. Because it's too much pressure. Exactly. And that like is a totally paralyzing thought of like, well, how can I go from who I am now? I literally hate myself to like the person who wakes up loving themselves every day. I don't see that happening. So I'm just not even going to start. And I think that it's a really hopeful thought that we can just like, Hey, like 10% not mm -hmm. ter as terrible is progress in the right and direction. that's how you build on it. Yeah. But I also think like the whole reason we want something to change right away is that 
we want what I call like an exit ramp off the human experience. Like the human experience is that sometimes you feel great and sometimes you feel terrible. And sometimes life feels amazing and beautiful and sometimes it feels awful. And like that is just the mixed bag of being a human. But we all want the fuck off that. We're like all like, where do I... It's bumpy. Yeah, it's bumpy. We're like, where do I get off? And so when we're in a hurry to get someplace to like hit a fitness goal, to change our body, to make money, to change our self-talk, even whatever it is, when we're in a rush, it's because we subconsciously think when I get there, I'm going to be off the exit, right? That's the exit ramp. That's how I'm going to feel. So I always tell people when they're like gripping a goal too tightly, I'm like, I just want you to imagine you have your ideal body, whatever it is, right? You have your ideal body. You hit that. You made the Olympics, like whatever it is. And you're in Olympic village and you're still crabby or you're like still in a bad mood or you still woke up and you don't like what you see in the mirror that day. The next day you're going to feel great. But it's like whatever it is you're trying to get to, that rush is because you think it's going to be better there than here. Right. And like, yes, I do think life can be better. That's why I do all of this work. I think we can be like more empowered. We can be happier. We can create things that blow our minds that we didn't know we could. Like anybody who's is super into fitness also has experienced that. That's all great. And you will still be a human and it's still going to be like we can build our resilience so that it's just a bumpy ride as opposed to like an out of control roller coaster. But the rush comes from the fantasy that there's some way to like completely get off the ride entirely and just feel amazing all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, so I don't know, you're the expert. I don't know if this is right or wrong, but something that I keep reminding myself in all of these moments is that they're always temporary. We were filming something yesterday and I was like, just having a day where I just did not like my face. And that's not that I don't forever hate it and never want to be on camera again. It's like, I said to the girl I was filming with, I was like, I, don't want to see my face today. I'm sick of it. Like I'm so over this. And then I had to go by like this whole face thing. Yeah. This whole face thing. I don't want to see it. Like stop showing it to me. Like whatever you recorded, like make it go somewhere else. But for me is something that I, I, I have found helpful to kind of keep getting back up as being like, this is temporary. You don't feel like this forever. Tomorrow we could come in and I'll be like, oh, someone take a picture of me. I am so hot. I think that is a super helpful tool. I think there's also like practice, like thoughts and stuff you can practice when you are in that space. But that is like that temporal. I mean, that's what meditation teaches you, right? It's like no thought or feeling is permanent. It's going to come and go. And that's true about the happy ones too. You know, it's like, I think sometimes in America, especially where we're very like positive and optimistic, we try to like... We're like, well, I'll, here's what I'll take from like meditative traditions. Negative feelings come and go, but happy ones can always be here. And it's like, no, they all no. come and go. All of them. Like, one minute. Yeah, we just get to keep the good ones. Yeah, just let the bad ones come and go. Like, no, you, one minute you're going to love your partner and, the, and you'll be like filled with happiness. You can't believe you're the luckiest person in the world. And five minutes later, you're like, if you don't stop chewing like that, I'm going to strangle you with my bare hands. Like, that's the same person. Condition. And then the next day you'll like them again. Like that's it. So I a hundred percent think that's so important. Like none of this is permanent, right? None of it is the good or the bad. It is just like a cycle of feeling good and bad and good and bad forever until you die. And that's <laughs> it. But like, if you just can accept that, like then it's like, okay, do I want to feel good and bad and good and bad? Like meeting my fitness goal, blowing my own mind about what's possible, making a million dollars, loving myself, whatever. Like, 
it takes all the pressure off the goal and you can really enjoy the goal for what it is, which is just a chance to change your beliefs about what's possible for you and grow and evolve. Cause we might as well do something while we're here feeling good and bad and good and bad and good and bad for the rest of our lives. We might as well also, you know, have some fun. It's, sure. I mean, we're here anyways. So. <laughs> exactly. I'm here anyway. So I want to see what I can do while I'm here. I love that. I love that. And I do really love the idea of just taking the pressure off of even just like your life, like take the pressure off of it and realize, yeah, I just, uh, I think, okay. So along those lines, we had talked a little bit about, cause there are, as you mentioned in the beginning, there are certain characteristics that women tend to display. You said the people pleasing And the other one that I really wanted to hit on for a second was perfectionism because it's, I don't know if it's the kind of women that we coach in our group, but there seems to be a real, or if this is where society is at right now, but like, oh my God, people are just struggling so bad with women in specific with the fact that they are not perfect. And I remember I had read this study. It was like a long time ago. It was, I think it was like HP or some computer company was doing, um, was studying their promotions system and who applied for a promotion. And they, they studied it by, by gender and men would apply for a promotion when they met about 60%, right. I think of the uh, requirements like the four, over the different studies. It's like 40 to 60%. Okay. You know, this, you know, this. For a job when they meet 40 to 60% of the criteria and women will apply for a job when they meet 90 to hundred percent of the criteria. Like, no, that men are like I work in plumbing and this is a job application for like the head of GM and you know, they both involve pipes. So I'm in. Close enough. Yeah. And women will be like, I have all of the required qualifications, but I only have half of the nice to have or bonus ones. So I'm not applying. So this didn't surprise me, but it, you know, the things that surprise you in the way that just make you so angry and they remind you to be angry. So that's, (laughs) that's what happened to me when I read about this. And I was just like, this is so much of the mentality of I'm going to wait until dot, dot, dot. I think that women are taught, men are taught, go out and get what you want, make it happen. Women are taught, behave and someone will reward you. So I like... It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get angry this episode. I'm not going to do it. I'm an Enneagram and I'm quick to anger, but I'm going to try my best. <laughs> That's one of those, like, if that meme of I'm in this picture and I don't like it was a live podcast moment, (laughs) right? But, like, that's what we're taught, right? Like, and so, of course, they're not going to, like, women are much more likely to, like, wait for someone to, like, recognize them, reward them, promote them, right? And not go after it. And so, and, like, this is a place where it's important to say there's both, right? There's internalized stuff and there's external stuff. So, there's also studies showing that women are sometimes penalized when they do speak up for themselves or ask for raises or ask for promotions, et cetera. But we can't just let the conversation stop there. Like, okay, there's some workplaces where that happens. There are also some workplaces where that won't happen. And we all have to be part of the change of like making this so common and normalized that women can't be punished for it. Like we can't just sort of take, well, there is discrimination in the outside world and make that mean that we're just going to give up then. Right. So, and I think that perfectionism is, yeah, I think 
I mean, for sure, coaching communities disproportionately full of perfections. I assume yeah. the non-perfectionists are just like out there enjoying their lives. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. They're just doing an A minus job and feeling great about it. And they don't need but I think that like, I think women are more likely to be perfectionists because women are the ones who are taught that their worth and value are contingent. Like it's not inherent. It's what other people think of you. So, you know, humans have like a very intense desire to belong. There's like evolutionary biology reasons, there's whatever. And if you tell someone their acceptance depends, your acceptance by your people, whoever they are, depends on how good you are and how good you act. Like you, you don't have an inherent worth or value. It depends on what other people think of you. Like that's a recipe for perfectionism. How else are you going to, how are you going to not end up with a bunch of perfectionists? Because how can you belong? Yeah. But it's also, I mean, that perfect perfectionism can become, that's like, that's what people want to be their exit ramp. Like if I'm finally just, if I do all these things perfectly, then I'll finally feel good about myself. Right. And like, that's not how it works because your brain can always find some shit you're not doing well. All of a sudden, it, like you could do everything in your list and your brain will be like, you should really be a ukulele player though. Like, have you played ukulele? Are you dope? You're bad at it. Like if you, you, you have to think about your brain as like, it just runs whatever program you've given it. Like we act like we are making rational negotiated deals with our brain. Like our brain is a like rational actor we can negotiate with where your our brain is like, you have to do X, Y, Z, and then I'll give you the feel good. And we're like, okay, I did X, Y, Z. Like, where's the feel good? And your brain's like, I have no idea who made that deal with you. I don't know. I didn't have anything to do with that. You haven't done it yet. Let me, it's like, no, you can't like, don't negotiate with, with terrorists. Like that's what your brain is. That's not what's happening. Your brain is just running a program. So if what you've told your brain is if I'm unhappy, it must be because I'm not good enough. So I got to get better to get happy. Your brain will run that program all the time. And because it's normal, like we just said, being a human means some days you wake up and hate your face or whatever, your brain will just keep running that program all the time. Oh, you had an emotion? You had a negative feeling? It must be because you weren't good enough. Here's how you got to be better. Your brain is not like evaluating the evidence and giving you useful feedback. It is just running whatever program you taught it. And so you can't perfectionist your way into feeling good about yourself. You have to change the way you think about yourself. Yeah. That's really interesting. Do you have any thoughts on how, like any actionable steps on how we might like fight these tendencies? Yeah. Don't try to fight them because that yeah. language, whenever we think about like, what we try to do is we're like, okay, I'm not going to think the bad thoughts. Mm -hmm. But like there's no, your brain doesn't know how to carry out that instruction, especially because it's like telling, telling someone to calm down. Right. Doesn't help. And <laughs> also it's like, oh, I didn't think of that. Right. <laughs> and just logically, if you tell your brain not to think a thought in order to check if you're doing your brain has to think the thought in order to see if you're thinking it or not. So you, you have to think it, there's no, that doesn't work. So it's not avoid it's redirect. Cause also when we get, we get into this, like sometimes people discover thought work or changing their brain. And then they just get very like, Oh my God, another negative thought is coming. Like they turn that into a perfectionist exercise, which like, again, you're a human, you're going to have negative thoughts sometimes. I still have self-critical thoughts sometimes. It's okay. They come and they go. We're not going to like fight them, resist them and try to like punch it out with them. We're just going to redirect, right? It's like if, you're, if your toddler is screaming. I literally was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, escalate or de-escalate the situation, right? Like that's not how we deal with that. If your toddler's screaming in the grocery store and you start screaming and throwing things and trying to shove them like this does not make the situation any better. 
you have to just redirect. So I have an episode on my podcast called the thought, my podcast is unfuck your brain. And the episode is the thought ladder. And so that like walks you through this, this kind of process of like, how can you find a new thought you can believe and then like practice that all the time. So, but like, that's what it is. It needs, you got to redirect to a new thought, like that neural circuit. You can't just be like, no, 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 no. Like it's, that's the path. Like if, if you think about it, like a car that's driving, if there's only one path, the car has to go down the one path. Like where's the car supposed to go? You can't stop the car. In real life, you can stop a car and not drive down a path. With your brain, the car has got to go somewhere. So if there's only one path, that's where it's going. It doesn't matter how much you yell no. But you can create a new path and redirect the car down the new path over and over. And then eventually the old one gets like grown over with vines and leaves and thickets. And then the new one is nice and smooth and clear. And that's where your brain goes. I love that you said a believable thought too, because I think that that's where a lot of people get, like they try to go the opposite way. Like if they hate their face, then they try to go, no, I'm the most beautiful thing on earth. Like, like you said, like let's build a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain is just, I mean, brains do not like to do things without some payoff. So it's just very hard to convince. I mean, maybe there are people who are able able to just repeat really aspirational affirmations over and over from sheer discipline until they believe them. But like, I'm not that person. So finding that thought that you can really believe, which is like something very neutral and factual, or like even just, I mean, a really powerful one often that works for everything is just, it's possible my brain is wrong about this. Like, it's possible my brain is wrong about my face. It's possible. Like if you write down a list of shit your brain has been wrong about before, that's a long list. It's true. It's not a reliable source. No, no it's not a source, but it always acts like it is. It acts yeah. like you have no idea what you're talking about. It's always been reliable. It's always told you the truth. Yeah, it's just like your brain is just total like, narcissist. Yeah, it has no memory. <laughs> it's just like gaslighting you all the time. I mean, I try not to get into that because I think sometimes that makes people like get in an adversarial relationship with their brain, which isn't helpful either. It's like your brain's just trying to do what a brain tries to do. This thing evolved over millions of years. It's kind of a mess up there. There's like some loose wiring. All the parts don't really work together right. You know, it's like a meat, it's like a jello sack with electricity going through it. It's just not always going to come up with the best thing. Also, you slept two hours last night. So you like jacked it up and then you were like, make good decisions. And your brain's like, ah, so make like, good decisions and quickly yeah, and like, tell me the truth about everything in the world. Your brain's like, I don't even, I don't even know where my nose is. I don't, it's really confusing, you know? So your brain, like getting into the habit of just being not just taking your brain just acts like it's reporting the weather. It's like, Hey, it's going to be 62 degrees. You're dumb and your face is ugly. Like I it's just <laughs> telling you the truth. But that's not, it's not just reporting the weather. Like those are optional thoughts you're having that you can learn to change. So just getting in that practice being like, huh, my brain has had a lot of nonsense today. Like, let's see, you know, 10 minutes ago, I was pretty sure that that traffic jam was going to ruin my life forever, but now it's over and I've totally forgotten about it. So it's almost like my brain wasn't right about that. Like looking for the places your brain is wrong. It just like, it gives you that exact thing we were talking about of just being like, this comes and goes this. And that will always happen. Like I had a total freak out this morning about something very uncharacteristic for me. And I just like, but like, I've done this enough now that I was like, okay, this is interesting. I see my brain wanting to like, I want to like urgently reach out and talk to like 12 different people about it and get different blah, blah, blah. And I'm like freaking out. And I want to do all this math. And it was like about taxes. And then I was like, it's possible this feeling 
is not, does not actually mean that something has gone wrong, but that I actually have a problem. And like, now it's two hours later. And I'm like, it's fine. There's plenty of money. Like it was just, I didn't even have to coach myself this for this one. It was just like letting it run through without like reacting to it and getting all agitated about it. Mm, that's like you're just gonna wait an hour, you know? That's a great yeah, example. Because like, I'm like, Kelsey, do you need to act on this right now? Yeah. Like, could yeah, you urgency. just have your period? <laughs> urgency is always a key to not act on it. If you are like urgently trying to take action, that's when you're like trying to get away from a feeling and it's like that's mm. always a good sign to slow down. Mm, that's a great point. That's a great point for me personally. I'm yeah, gonna take that from the trigger happy text fingers where like you were great yeah. later. So when you feel like you gotta respond right now, you're trying to get out of a feeling, that's a time to like slow down. Mm, yeah. So I did want to talk about the pandemic for a minute too and the impact this has had on the women's movement. I know we're still in the midst of a lot of it and it's it's just undeniable that it's had effects on women's professional paths, self-confidence and overall mental health. Can you speak to this and like how we might come back from this? Yeah, I think this is a perfect example of there's external and internal stuff and like both are important, right? So we obviously have an external social problem of women's work not being valued as much, women pay disparities, women being the primary caretakers often. And so you ended up with this kind of social structural problem of a lot of women having to quit their jobs to like stay home and homeschool their kids during the pandemic when the schools were closed. And like, there's a lot of social structural stuff that goes into that. Like we don't have enough government or corporate support for working families. We don't, there's like the social expectation that if somebody's going to quit their job, it's going to be the woman whatever the public policy was around the pandemic that created this, like there's a lot of the external stuff, which again, like we should totally be working on. And also we can't solve in the next 30 minutes. And like, that's an long ongoing problem, right? On the internal side though, I think that understanding how your brain works makes it a lot easier to weather external events because one of the things you start to see is that your brain it's just like when something amazing happens, you have a, you do have that like upshoot of feeling great for a minute and then your brain goes back to its normal thing. The same thing happens when something scary or bad happens. There is like an initial panic, but also then your brain just kind of applies whatever the normal programs are to that situation, right? So it's like people who never had any health anxiety before were not that worried about COVID rightly or wrongly. People who had a lot of health anxiety before were very worried. People who had a lot of money anxiety before got very worried about money and because of the pandemic, people who didn't, didn't. So none of this is about like what was even objectively true or not. It's just that you've trained your brain to think a certain way. So if we take it into a new gym, just like the body doesn't magically totally change, take the brain into a new situation, a lot of it is going to be kind of your normal thought patterns. But that makes it so much easier to not kind of buy your brain's kind of story that everything is now an emergency. You have to panic. You need to feel panicked for three years straight. You need to freak out. Like our brain responds, especially to life or death threats with just a lot of anxiety because that's supposed to motivate us to run away. But when you're dealing with a pandemic, that is not really what you're going to do. You can't, it's not like a speeding car where like your fast reflexes make you jump out of the way. This is like a chronic ongoing threat and risk issue that people have to manage that you more need your prefrontal cortex to make decisions, not your like jump out of the way, the fast moving thing reflexes. Right. And so I think, um, having that ability to like, you know, manage your brain, not be reactive, be able to like allow your emotions to flow, right. Be able to sort of choose what to leave on purpose is really what gets people through 
the hardest times. Like, this is why I think it's so, um, it's just so like misguided and misunderstanding when people think that coaching or like thought management or mindset stuff or whatever is like a luxury. Like, I'm like, it is like, you don't need it when shit's all going well and good and everything's easy. Like, that's not when that's what a luxury, a luxury item is like a car that's fancier than you need. Like you don't need mindset work is not that important when everything's going great. Although it still is because you still have a human brain. But like when it really is clutch is when everything is falling apart. And like, that's how you develop emotional resilience to whatever's happening around you. But, um, so that's, and I'm not sure, do we know when the podcast is coming out? Yeah, this will come out the, in May, the second week in May. So I think that a lot of people are feeling extremely burnt out now and, we can't change the whole world, but you can change your reaction to things. And so for instance, I'm doing this thing right now called the 2022 burnout breakthrough, which is like all about how do you change the way you're thinking and reacting to the world so that you can prevent and heal burnout, create more energy, even when the world is kind of not cooperating. That is very timely. And I feel like that the weight of the last couple of years has been really heavy for a lot of people. And then coming out of that and just being like, Hey, you're fine now. Like just everything's cool. Like you shouldn't feel burnt out. Like go enjoy the things that you like in this world is just like the most unrealistic expectation that I have ever heard. Like, <laughs> And I hear a lot of women who are just like talking to themselves in that way of like, I don't know why I haven't been able to bounce back. I don't know why I feel so tired all the time. And really it's that internal blame of like, it must just be me. And my assumption of running a challenge like this is it's not just you guys. It's not just you. And also part of the problem is like women, it is that socialization where women are taught and trained to like do everything for everybody else to feel guilty about ever taking time for themselves to feel guilty about ever spending money on themselves, especially if they have kids or a family And so like all of that, right, there's a part of it that is just sort of like learning how to wrangle a human evolved brain (laughs) that wants to freak out all the time and like learning how to make that roller coaster into more of like a, you know, child's ride in a theme park, just like a little bumpy. And then part of it is also seeing the ways in which like a lot of women do know when they're getting burnt out and they do know what might help, but they don't feel able to do it because they don't feel comfortable like taking time for themselves or saying no to that thing or like letting their kid just watch TV for the morning, even though it's not the most enriching activity in the world because like they just really need a break. Like there is a lot of guilt and shame because we, and we haven't even talked about this, but like there's so much socialization around the being the perfect mother and like being fully subservient to your child and all of that. So my goal with the challenge really is like address both those things, like to teach people practices they can use that address both of those problems. Like having your brain just be out of control and creating a lot of stress. And even if I teach, this is why you have to bring this lens in. I can teach you what to do to calm your brain down, to reset your nervous system, blah, blah, blah. But if your next thought is, I can't do that because I need my, you know, I have to make the, the cupcakes for the whole class tomorrow. Like I have to do this other thing for this other person. I'm not allowed to do that, but it doesn't matter what I teach you, right? We have to address both parts of it. It's so weird when like, I don't know, this, maybe this is just a me problem, but sometimes all roads seem to lead to guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I every path, path shame. whichever direction you go, you end up at shame. It's like, I, I know that we heard a lot of this from, you know, the fitness community of like from women specifically when they were 
taking on all of these jobs of teacher and, you know, this, this ridiculous amount of load, obviously their fitness was falling by the wayside. And what so many people said was, you know, I got my COVID-15 or whatever, like everybody's calling it. And it was like, what, how I felt it was, it was like every road led to shame because if I went to work out and turned on the TV, then that, then I'm shame because I'm a bad mom. And if I didn't, then I'm going to, you know, turn around and go, wow, what has happened to my physical appearance? And that is a shameful thing in its own right. And it's just like, it, it just felt like, it still feels like sometimes. Yeah. Perfectionism leads to burnout. I mean, that's what that is, right? Perfectionism right. is like, I'm somehow supposed to do a homegrown enriching activity for my child while also working out and maintaining this exact figure while also like I'm supposed to somehow do it all at once. So I always say like, if your brain gives you two options and both of them are, you're terrible, something's gone wrong. Like that's not, the math does not add up. Right. And that is that like call to sack of shame. Exactly. And that's what creates burnout. I mean, that's why we're so exhausted. Like Burnout is created by just the constant mental rumination about how you are doing it wrong, not doing enough, should feel ashamed no matter what you're doing. And that has nothing to do with the pandemic because I've been coaching women for years on when I'm at work, I feel bad that I should be with my kids. And when I'm with my kids, I feel bad that I should be working, right? Like that had nothing to do with what was happening in the outside world. You're so right. When you said like the things that were already there just came bigger during the pandemic, they just bubbled to the surface, but they were already there. If you had health concerns, they were, you know what I mean? It just enhanced it. And I, I totally, I totally hear that. You talk about the term authentic confidence and living with authentic confidence. And first of all, I just love that term. And I was just wanting you to take a minute and just kind of talk about what this means in your mission and Honestly, maybe try to convince every person that this is a possibility. Because honestly, I really think that there are people, specifically women, that hear that phrase and are like, that sounds great, but that's never going to happen. Yeah. So when I say authentic confidence, what I mean is not faking it till you make it, right? Not It's like true confidence that comes from within. It is not based on everybody always agreeing with you, everybody always liking you right? Everybody always thinking you look good, everybody be approving of you, all of that. So confidence really has to be, we call it confidence, but what is at the root of confidence is actually just self-acceptance, right? Like I'm okay the way I am. I'm allowed to exist. <laughs> Even if some people don't agree with how I am. He's like, this is really at the base of it. Like a lot of women feel like they're basically not allowed to exist. If other people disapprove of them or don't like what they're doing or don't think they're attractive or don't think they did a good job or just when, you know, we're mean to them in third grade, it might still be thinking about them. Like if anybody in the world has a negative opinion of them, the thing to know about confidence though, is that it's like, we think we can't, it's like a circle. It's another cul-de-sac. We think we can't have confidence because confidence is based on actually being like good or pretty or smart or whatever. It's like some objective thing. And if we don't have that, then how could we be confident? Right. But the truth is that confidence has really nothing to do with any kind of objectivity. It's just a thought pattern. It's just a way of thinking about yourself. So like I can be confident about my looks and so can Cindy Crawford, even though society has very different beliefs about our bodies and which one of us is more attractive, right? Like it's not, if it was truly based on an external thing, then like only the person who was the best at each thing in the world would be allowed to feel confident. That's not how it works, right? It's just a thought pattern. And the truth is like, 
like women will often be like, well, I can't just, I mean, let myself be confident, even if I don't think it's true. Like what I'm just going to become, you know, like a, an arrogant narcissist. I'm like, first of all, if you're even thinking about that, that's not what's going to happen. Second of all, that's like a personality disorder. It is not something that you give to yourself by thinking (laughs) confident thoughts. And third of all, like, this is why I always focus on like, what results are we creating in our life? People could have completely said to me that it was completely delusional to think that I could love my body. You know, people can't see me necessarily if they're listening to clips of this, but I live in like a fat body in this world. And, and I quit being a running a think tank to become a life coach. Like people could have said with like plenty of seeming truth on their side that like, it would be, how could I possibly be confident about how I looked? How could I be confident that I was going to run a business? Like that wasn't a crazy thing to do. And now I run a seven figure business. Like no reason to think that I was going to be able to do that. And I don't blame anyone who thought that it seemed crazy. I agree. But like you can, the truth is like, it's all subjective. It's just you and your brain going through life. And like, no one is going to issue a ruling on whether you were truly allowed to feel confident or were truly good enough. And 12 people will have different opinions. So like you just get to decide, do you want to go through life thinking you're a piece of shit? Or do you want to go through life? Like having a friendship with yourself where you actually think that you are worthwhile. Like no one can tell you either way. So you might as well just decide. I, that always gets me in my feels because the most thing I hear from women is like, I wish I had that confidence. And I'm always like, stop wishing. It's not going to come. It's not the fairy. It's not going to come knocking on your door and come. And it's really all about what you, how you're going to decide to go through your life. And that doesn't mean it changes in a day. You know, we've talked this entire episode about making those small changes and how it's work. And it just starts with, you know, 10%. But it's worth it. And it's a decision that really starts with you. I just liked that there was going to be nobody at the end deciding. In my head, there always is. <laughs> I mean, always like you're not going to get into heaven and they're going to be like, good job. Never letting your kid watch TV. Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. I call it like a certified letter from the universe. Yes. We're not getting a certified letter from the universe telling us if we did it right or wrong, but women want one because we're socialized to doubt ourselves, to not see ourselves as an authority, to believe that other people need to validate us. And when it comes to confidence, like you also, like your people, I'm always to my clients, like you're reporting to me that you're not allowed to be confident based on your brain's evaluation of how you quote unquote truly are. We just agreed that your brain was full of bullshit. Like <laughs> your brain is not going to just spit out confidence. Like your brain told you that because you burned the toast, you were a failure as a wife. Like brains are incredibly dramatic. They're basically flinging themselves onto Victorian fainting couches all the time. And that's fine. Like, but we do not need to do boo-boo. Yeah. But we do not need to just take all that as like the gospel truth. Right. So you basically like, it's all a big circle. If you try to like achieve your way to a place where you want your brain to spit out confidence, but you haven't trained it to, it's just not going to. So like divorcing confidence from having anything to do with like some certified letter from the universe, somebody at the end, like 10 Olympic judges holding up the numbers to be like, you truly are smart enough to be allowed to think that about <laughs> oh, your The German like, judge hates me. You're the only judge and you need to embrace that to create that confidence because otherwise you're just going to spend your whole life being down on yourself. And then, and you're not getting an award for that when you die either. Nope. 
Martyrs. Martyrs. Did you yeah. hear that? You're not okay. getting an You're award for that it. either. There's no humble award at the end where they're like, good job never saying anything nice to yourself. Here's a cookie. That's not how it works. No yeah. awards. No awards. Terrible news, honestly. Terrible news. My work here is done. <laughs> what you said about narcissists too. I, I said something that was like, I look so awesome today. And I like said to my best friend, I was like, was that really narcissistic? And she was like, I don't think narcissists ask themselves that question. So you can start from there. Well, not about like the big mistake people make is like, we're so used to like ranking each other. Cause women are socialized to compare themselves to each other all the time. Like we could have another whole podcast about this. Thinking that you are smart or pretty does not mean you think you're better and more worthy than other people. You're allowed to just think a positive thing about yourself and it does not imply that you are better than somebody else or that you're like, like we are all equally humanly worthy and also we're allowed to think nice things about ourselves. Imagine that concept. <laughs> I did want to ask you one last question about, um, you mentioned in your bio, true self-love is a radical act for women. And this one just got me all up in my feels. And <laughs> I just, do we need to commit to being an outsider or a radicalist to truly live free and limitless? Only in your own mind. I'm not like out on a commune. I'm, you know, like, I'm like, I live in Brooklyn, you know, just amongst <laughs> us. She's one of us. I live in Brooklyn. I am a straight woman. I have a male partner. It's pretty, that's pretty conventional. Like you, it's radical to accept your like imperfect humanity as a woman, because you are socialized for everybody. But I focus on helping women, like, because we are socialized to think that our worth and our value and our ability to love ourselves or be loved by other people is all contingent on performing a certain way. And so it is a radical act. Like the truth is, it's not even about, it's like people think self-love is about like thinking everything you do is great. And that's so dangerous because then we'll all run each other over with cars or like whatever insane slippery slope people go on to. Just like if I think that I'm not a disgusting pile of fat, then I will become an arrogant sociopath. It was like, doesn't make any sense when you look at it. You're like, this does what? That's like saying, if I cook one egg, I'm going to turn into a French chef. Like, no. That's if not... you drive a car, you're going to be a race car driver. Yeah, like, like these things are not related. But, <laughs> but anyway, people think that self-love is that. They think it's this like thinking everything you do is great, not whatever. And I, to me, self-love, it's like your, your relationship with yourself is like any other long-term relationship in your life. It doesn't mean you're always thrilled with yourself. It doesn't mean you only have positive thoughts about yourself. But you have a foundation of like self accept of acceptance and regard and love, right? Just like you do with a long term partner or a long term friend. Like, I don't, my best friends, my boyfriend, I don't love every single thing they do. I don't have only positive thoughts about them. I have days when like there's a, we have a fight or I'm just irritated or I don't like their face or whatever. <laughs> but I never make that mean that they're not worthy of love, that they aren't like worthy as a human, that they have to like change in order for me to love them. Now, obviously some of us do do that in our external relationships, but that's a mirror of our relationship with ourselves. Right. So like to me, self-acceptance, self-love, like don't turn it into, it's not an exit ramp off the human condition either. It's not like this de destination you can get to where you always feel good about yourself and then you never feel sad or bad and you did it perfectly. It just means having like a long-term friendship with yourself where even if you had a rough day with yourself, you were a little mean to yourself, you didn't like how you looked, you said you snapped at somebody and now you regret it, whatever, 
that's still in the context of like, I love you. I respect you. I care for you. I'm here with you. And like holding that space for yourself throughout your life. Oh, <laughs> in the fields again. Uh, you know, it's just, I just think that these things are, they see, sometimes they can seem so far away and they can seem so idealistic and they can seem so just far out of our league. But like, really, when you break it down, I just, I just hope that everybody leaves with a little bit of hope that these things are absolutely 100% possible in your life. And you can live this life. And it's, I don't know, I just, I just think that that really changes the game. And if you are a radicalist like me, and you say like, (laughs) well, you know, if this makes me freaking different, and if this makes me a rebel, then I'm going to do it, then you, you go your path, girlfriend. Whatever you got to do, because this is, this is the good stuff, man. This is the stuff that like makes your life worth living. It's, it's important stuff. Cara, thank you so much for being with us. I think this was so insightful. And I honestly, like, I really think that there's going to be huge mindset shifts for people that listen to this because it's, it really is, um, information that I think just every woman should hear. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me on. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.